Good morning. How is everybody? Doing good? Wonderful. Let me get situated here. Are you clicking or am I clicking? All right. Stole a click. Hey, all right. So you can be opening up the Psalms 119. We'll be in verses 89 through 96. You can get working on turning there, and I'm going to be doing the same. I feel uh, my fingers are just a little bit uh, greasy. But that's because there's some love in the house. Because uh, there is some uh, sausage and bacon over there that I that I heard about. And I said, well, you can't pass up sausage and bacon. Um, so I, you know, so I helped myself to some sausage and bacon. And uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, I feel like I've been loved and provided for today. Maybe not everybody. But I do. For sure. For sure. All right. I got a little, a little greasy on the inside, too. Here we go. Let's start by reading this. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to follow along with me in, in the Bible. We'll just put this psalm or this little stanza in our mind, and then we'll start working through it. Psalms 119, starting in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me, to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Let's pray and we'll, we'll get into this psalm. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. We ask that you would lead us, guide us, teach us, Lord, meet with us, and uh, challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll be looking here at this psalm and and the title, the, the focus for today is this, it's the, the settled word. And if you were tuned in as we were reading through that, you saw that right out of the gate uh, as, as the, begin, the very first verse here mentions that. And I'm going to give you our key theme right up front because I, I want you to write this down. I want you to have this in your, in your heart and in your mind as we work through the, the, the points today. If the word of God is not settled in your heart, then your life will be unsettled. Okay? So that very first verse talks about how the word of God is settled in heaven, and we're going we're gonna to break this down and explain this. But listen, the whole purpose of this psalm is to declare the majesty and power and glory uh, and, and work of the word of God and how it is, it is settled in heaven, and we can trust it forever. That will never change. But then as you work down towards the end of the psalm, what, what David is getting at and what, the, what, what needs to connect with us is this. Not only is it settled in heaven, but it has to be practical in my life too. The word of God has to be settled in my heart every day. And if it's not, if I'm not settled, if the word isn't settled in my heart, then I will be unsettled in a lot of different ways. And we'll talk about that. All right. So as you look at the psalm, as a reminder, you know, Psalm 119 is broken down into eight verse stanzas. Each one starts with uh, a Hebrew letter. 
And you'll see that above that stanza if your Bible is set up like, uh, like a lot of them. It's, it'll have it written in Hebrew, then it'll have kind of an English kind of transliteration of how to say that word. It's Lamed is the name of that, of that letter, right? Uh, and so Lamed is, is this, this psalm. It would be the, the equivalent of our L. If you were reading this in Hebrew, so every verse in this psalm, in this stanza here, would start with L, the letter L, or a word that begins with the letter L. And I want to point out a couple of things to you, because oftentimes we just skim past that, and we skip that, like it wasn't important, like it wasn't added, like it wasn't put there on purpose. Um, you know, it was on purpose. David was not only, you know, the psalmist, but he was a poet. He wrote things intentionally, right? And he, he crafted the way he crafted on purpose. And I want to point out a few interesting things about this letter for you. The, the letter Lamed, and I'll point it out here. This is the whole Hebrew alphabet. This is an oval that shouldn't be there. But this is the Hebrew alphabet. Lamed is right here, right in the middle. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain why and, and what that means. Some of this is, is coming from just a, a Hebrew perspective, a Jewish tradition on their own alphabet and, and the things that they understand from it. So the letter Lamed is unique in the Hebrew alphabet. Since it is the tallest letter, it is the only letter that rises above the baseline. All right. And you can see that when you look at, just look across, it's, it's tall. It is also uh, the 12th letter in the alphabet, and it is considered to be the central letter or the heart of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 in total. I actually, le read left to right. So there's the first letter. This is the 12th, and if you were a Jew, if you were a Hebrew speaker or reader, this is the very heart of the alphabet itself. So it's the tallest, and it's the central focus, or, or the heart. Since Lamed towers over the other letters from its central position, it is said to represent the king of kings. That's pretty cool. This idea is supported by the idea that the preceding letters uh, stand for the throne of glory, and the following letter stands for the kingdom. And the sages also point out that the three central letters in the alphabet, in the alphabet spell the word melech in Hebrew, which is the word for king. So when you look right in the very middle of the Hebrew alphabet, it says king. And they look at that in the very center of that word is this one tall standing above all other letters that is said to represent the king of kings. His throne and his kingdom, his, his people laid out before him. So the meaning of, La, of Lamed, the original meaning of Lamed probably was to prick or to sting, to entice or to goad, as a shepherd might prod cattle to perform some action. In fact, they say that the shape of Lamed is, is reminiscent of the shepherd's staff or the shepherd's go that he would hold a long stick with a hook on the end. And you can see that uh, in the way that it is designed. Hence, the ancient pictograph was that of the staff or the goad representing authority. So the Hebrew name of the letter itself, the med, comes from the root lamad, meaning to learn or to teach, which first occurs in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1, which says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. That is that word lamad, which begins with this letter lamad. So the central idea, the meaning of that very letter, which is kind of weird to think it's, it's just it's L, right? But they have, it's more than just L, it has meaning in and of itself. It's, 
It's to teach, it's to guide, it's to instruct and to lead us, just like the shepherd did with his staff and rod, with the, with the, the hook on the end to bring us to where we need to be, or perhaps to poke us along and to prod us. Lamed is that, and so it is the teaching that will lead us and will guide us. And then we'll see uh, that this psalm, this psalm uh, also points us in that same or instructs us in that same direction towards learning, just as Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1 did. And the focus, of course, of this psalm that we're looking at now, or this stanza, is the very word of God. Lamed and the heart of knowledge. So there was a guy named uh, Rabbi Akiva. He lived in, uh, he was born in the year 50, you know, so he was alive at, at the same time as uh, that first century church. Some of our uh, apostles were still alive at that time. He is said to have noted that the spelling of Lamed can be seen as an acronym for the phrase, and then he wrote a Hebrew word that I'm not going to read for you, but it means a heart that understands knowledge. In other words, the goal of learning and teaching, the very goal of Lamed is a heart of knowledge. Moreover, since it is the only letter allowed to ascend above the other letters in the sacred writings, Lamed represents the prominence of learning and understanding in the Jewish heart. What he's saying is this, the focus is that as you read God's word, as you hear God's truth, that it shouldn't just move you like a shepherd can force a sheep to go wherever he wants them to go. The shepherd, if he needs to, can overpower the sheep and drag him or could pick him up and carry him. But that's not the end objective. See, we are like sheep in the word, but we are uniquely created in that we can learn and respond to the heart and voice of God. And the very purpose of all the teaching is to change your heart, to bring you to the place where the rod isn't the rod of correction as often as it was before. Because wisdom comes in taking the, the word of God, the truth, and bringing it into our heart and letting it be applied into our life to where the shepherd doesn't have to force me. The shepherd doesn't have to drag me. I'm better than a sheep because I can learn and do it out of a heart desire my dog obeys you know because i mean you can teach a dog to obey i mean i don't have a dog but you can teach a dog to obey right and they kind of love their masters but they also love not being disciplined right there's this there's this aspect to it that i just don't want to get hurt well you're better than a dog you don't have to just live in fear of the rod you have the opportunity to to learn from the word and to say, oh, this is actually God's heart for me. That should become my heart as well. So the word has to be settled in our life. Else we will be unsettled all of our days. So Justin, before we haven't even gotten into the, what most people would say to be the actual word of God yet. We're just looking at this Hebrew letter. And I want to give you three quick lessons that you can learn just from looking at Lamed based on the things that, that we just read through. So number one, everything is pointing to the king of kings, and he stands above everything. So just by looking at the Hebrew alphabet and looking at the letter that, that begins this stanza, we have that. The king of kings is exalted above all. 
In fact, he tells us that his creation was designed to point towards him. Your heart, your conscience within you was created to point towards him. Everything is pointing to the one who stands above all. Number two, the purpose of God's word is to shepherd. That is why he gave it to us. Part of shepherding, as we said, is correcting, is being the rod. Um, but you know what? Part of it is that, as David said, is that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They lead me to the pastures and the still water. So the word of God was designed with the purpose of shepherding. It has the authority to guide and to direct us and to prod us when needed. Number three, the word of God is capable of changing our hearts if we would allow it. We have the ability to learn God's word and to apply it and to allow it to change us. And so there you are. There's a whole separate sermon in and of itself. Uh, you can take and you can build that out and you can just uh, three lessons from a simple letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so that's where, that's what this, that's what kind of frames, you know, the picture coming into this stanza. Lamed, this is who it is. This is what it is. The central focus of the Hebrew alphabet. And so for me, it's no surprise that the very first thing that you read coming into this central focus, coming into this idea of teaching and learning knowledge that can be applied to your life and can change your heart is this forever. Oh, Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Extending above everything else, just as Lamed into the heavens and settled there. You want to learn, you want to be wise, you want to be shepherded, you want to be guided. This is one of the central truths of all of the Bible and of all of life. This is one of the absolute most important principles, doctrines, truths that you can get a hold of. Is that the word of God is settled in heaven. That God's word will, in simple, what does that mean? God's word will never change, can never change. You know, when you look at this verse, if you were to just kind of put it in your own words, it, really what it says is beyond time, God's word is not moving ever. It's in heaven, right? So here's our first key point for study today. Oh, there's our verse we just looked at. Now, here's our first key point for study today, pushing us back towards our, you know, our key theme. But the first key point of this, if the word of God is not settled, then there actually is no God at all. A God whose word is unsettled is no God indeed. Okay? So you have to have a, a, a settled, established, firm word in order to actually have an all-powerful, all-authoritative, creative being right? Because if his word is not settled, if his word is changeable, if his word is, is flexible, if his word is dependent upon mood or emotion or the moment, then he would not be authoritative. If the word is not settled, the word is not authoritative. Now, we know that factually because of what the Bible says. Now, if we take that personally and back to our, our key thesis, if the word is not settled in my heart, then it also has no authority in my life. So we come to church and we go to Bible studies 
But on the day-to-day -day reality of our life, we don't believe that the word is authoritative. It's not settled in our life. So it doesn't function that way. It doesn't lead us. It doesn't guide us. If you cannot trust his word, then you cannot trust him. And that's as simple as it is. It was an ethos that built this country as well. A man was only as good as his word. And there was a time when that was, was uh, you know, worth killing somebody over. We shook on it or we agreed and therefore it is. It's not so anymore in this country. But in terms of who our savior is, that idea comes from this very principle right here, that God's word is authoritative. You can trust him. If it's not settled, he's not trustworthy. If his word is not settled in heaven, then he also it would not be infinite. For if his word is not infinite or if any part of him was not eternal, then he himself also would not be. When he speaks, that word comes out, goes forth, and never dies. It is breath and it is life. It is the very word of God that brought Adam to life. And that, is, that life, that word is eternal. So it is important for us to grasp the importance, the, you know, the, the depth of this idea that his word is settled in heaven. And it defines exactly who he is. A few more places in the scripture where God makes mention of the same idea. Psalms 119, we'll come to it in a few months. But concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Testimonies were founded forever. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse uh, 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, and men should fear before him. When God speaks, when God declares, this is what he says. Try all you want, but you're not changing it. God's word is settled. In the New Testament, we get similar uh, ideas and we get a similar uh, teaching from Jesus himself. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. You know, this is an interesting idea. God's word is settled in heaven. What he tells us is that as long as there is an earth, you can trust my word. So how do you know that you can trust God's word? It's still there. As long as there's an earth for us to ride around the sun, God's word hasn't changed. Not one tiny bit. So that when you wake up and you start to wonder, I don't know, God, this is hard. This is scary. This is dark. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if your word is actually true. Just take a second and open the window and look out there and see if the trees are still there. The ground is still there. You're not just floating in space. All of a sudden you can trust his word, right? First Peter tells us this. Chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, that's important. Quick point to be made there is that incorruptible seed produces incorruptible fruit. All right. And God tells us that his word is incorruptible. 
and the things that it can produce in your life will be incorruptible. So when you look at your own life and you see things that, that, that are human in nature, right? That are finite, that rust, that fail. Well, you know where it came from? It came from a corruptible seed. It's a good way to, to rule out what is and what is not from the Lord, right? Because if it came from the Lord, then it comes from incorruptible seed. For all flesh, now he reminds us of this, is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Oh, and by the way, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Not to get into the doctrine of, of salvation and eternal security too much here, but real simply put, it's an incorruptible seed that planted the gospel, that brought the gospel to you. And if that took root in your life, it's an incorruptible root. It's an incorruptible truth that holds you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, according to what the incorruptible word says, then you are saved and you are saved forever. That's where the gospel came from. That same gospel is settled in heaven, right? So the earth itself, this is interesting, you know, when you back up and look at, you know, what Jesus did say, you know, he ties the, the incorruptible word to the passing of heaven and earth as if the earth or the heaven could of its own or by the doing of man be uh, suddenly done away with, right? Now, what's interesting about that, though, when you get to the end of the book, when you get to the end of Revelation, we do see that God himself will destroy the earth. The, the earth actually will pass. What Jesus declares is till heaven and earth pass, nothing is going to change. But then God comes back and tells us, by the way, I myself am going to destroy this earth. The earth is going to pass and I'm going to remake it. Oh, and just, just so you are, are clear on this, the word, though, it wasn't settled on earth anyway. It's settled in heaven, right? So the earth also, of course, is, you know, as we said, is, will pass because it is, it is cursed, but in the word is settled in heaven. I'll give you a few other verses you can look up on your own. Just talking about the creation, you know, it's important, I think, to understand creation biblically. Nehemiah 9, 6, um, Psalms 146, 6, Jeremiah 32, 17, O Lord, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Uh, Jeremiah 51, 15, and 16. Just a few verses that talk about how God himself created the earth and established it, right? Uh, and, and because of that, because it was created by his word, it's set until he is done using it, right? So you can look at that. We'll talk about the creation here in just a minute. Now, I want to make a quick comparison, though. The word of God is settled in heaven and unmovable, right? What can we compare that to on earth? What do we have, uh, you know, maybe in our understanding that we could use as, as a comparison? And the best comparison I could come up with for us is the Constitution of the United States, okay? An authoritative document, really the final authority, uh, you know, in, in our country. This is the... the the, the foundation upon which our government, the, you know, the entire existence of our societies and our lives as we understand it, everything that we know and understand, uh, you know, in theory, was built on the Constitution of the United States. 
That is the framework. That's the authority on which our country stands. And one that we would like to think, therefore, is settled, right? Like that thing don't change. That's the Constitution. We can trust it, right? A lot of you have studied government because you had to take it in, in like high school and you're thinking, wait, the Constitution itself does change. There are 27 amendments to the Constitution. An amendment is a change to the Constitution. The last one, the 27th, was accepted uh, and ratified by the required number of states in 1992. That was the last time we had an official change to the Constitution. Most of us were alive then, right? It wasn't that long ago that the founding document for our nation was changed. Uh, it's interesting, however, that that amendment itself actually passed Congress in 1789, but it took over 200 years for it to ratify, to get the appropriate number of the required number of states to agree to it. So once an amendment passes Congress, every state has the right to vote on it and accept it or not. And you have to get, I don't know, 75% or two thirds. I don't remember the number. Uh, so that one actually took 200 years to pass, right? Prior to that, the, the 26th amendment was ratified in 1971. Again, many of you were alive. I didn't say us that time, I said you. Many of y'all were alive. That wasn't that long ago, right? So in our lifetime, the Constitution has been modified at least twice, right? Um, what's that? You want to keep going back? We can go back to the one before that. Okay. I mean, we can work our way back. There's a lot of, some of you might have seen more changes to this very important foundational document. Listen, in our country's 245-year history, there have been 27 amendments. Uh, many of them came in that first year. There were 10 uh, all in the same year. However, if you were to average that out, 245-year history of our country, 27 amendments, that means on average, we have changed our constitution every nine years. For a document that, that we would like to think is unchangeable and is settled and defines our country, right? Uh, but it was designed to be changing and to be fluid. Now, the Supreme Court is the final authority in our nation uh, and, and tasked with the, the sole purpose of upholding and, de and defining the Constitution for us as a nation. So then, of course, we would say, well, that's the final authority, you know, practically in our nation. If you get your, your, your case up to the Supreme Court, what they say, boom, it's set in stone and it never changes, right? No, that's not even right. Even the Supreme Court decisions can be changed. The, the, the court's caseload is almost entirely appellate in nature, but the court's, the court's decisions can be appealed, uh, can, and they cannot be appealed to any authority, giving it the appearance of you know, final authority. It is the final judicial arbitrator in the United States on matter of federal law. However, Chief Justice Marshall expressed the challenge of the Supreme Court faces in maintaining a free government by noting this, we must never forget that it is the Constitution we are expounding, referring to the role of the Supreme Court, intending to endure for ages to come and consequently, listen, to be adapted to the various cries of human affairs. So even the court itself understands that its role is to adapt and to adjust based on what society is presenting in the moment. When the Supreme Court rules on a constitutional issue, the judgment, that judgment is virtually final. Its decisions can be altered only by, as we, we noted earlier, constitutional amendment. However, when the court uh, interprets a, uh, a statute, 
uh, it, it actually can come back and further down the line, make a new judgment on that same statute. And that has happened as well. 145 times the, the Supreme Court has reversed its own judgment later on down the line. Now that's a, you know, percentage wise, that's less than 1% of total cases. But listen, we have nothing govern, governing our lives that is final outside of the word of God. And this nation that often is hailed as the, the beacon of democracy and, uh, you know, and constitution uh, and law to the rest of the world, we're unsettled. The reality is we don't know what we're doing. We made a document that worked and then we got to modify it every nine years or so. The word of God is settled. That's what you can trust in. That's the one thing that does not change. So in contrast to, to that document or to that Supreme Court that, that governs us, we have Jesus, right? And Jesus is the word God created by his word. And what we're told in, in Colossians 1.16 or in John chapter 1 is that, that Jesus is the word that created. Jesus is the creator. In John chapter, in 1 John chapter uh, 5 and verse 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. The Word is settled in heaven, and Jesus is the Word of God. So Jesus, being the eternal Son and the Word, was, was there before there was anything. Before there was a heaven to settle the Word in, there was God. There was a time when the only thing that was, was God. And what God says in Genesis 1 is that in the beginning, he created. And so time begins when God created. Before that, there wasn't time, there was just God, right? When he created heaven and earth, we get the idea that time began. Time at some level is bound to our earth. And one day our earth, as we mentioned, will be done away and well, so will time. And we'll enter again into eternity. But listen, because Jesus is the word. Unsettling God's word would require you to make Jesus cease being who he is. So the, the day that you think you can't trust God's word, what you're really saying is that you think you can march yourself up into heaven and pull Jesus off his throne or stop being who he is. We can trust his word because we can trust Jesus. There's Oh, there's, there's, uh, okay, there it is. Our next key point. Because we're, we're, we're tying the word of God to Jesus as the Bible does, when you are not settled on God's word, you won't see Jesus's character established in your life. Because when the word of God gets settled in your heart, when the word of God gets settled in your life, it is Jesus himself that is getting settled into to your being. And so when you are not settled on God's word, then Jesus' character won't get settled and established into your life. So as a result, you will not experience all the things that Jesus brings into your life. Will he be there? Yeah. Has the Holy Spirit eternally sealed you? Yeah. We're talking about the practical day-to-day -day living out of that. Jesus is peace, and if the word of God is not settled in your heart, then peace will not be established in your life. It will be transient. You'll have moments where you feel like, yeah, okay, I, I got this. I'm in control. I feel peace. And then it will go. Why? Because 
you have not decided to let the word of God be settled in your life. You can't handle stress because you don't love the word. You can't handle people because you don't love the word. Well, people just make me so angry sometimes. Uh, you know, there's things to be angry about. Some people make me angry too. Uh, but can I have peace in the midst of that? You're quick to fight. Always looking for someone to argue with. There's no peace in anything that you do. Why is that? Because peace is the nature and character of Jesus Christ, and you haven't allowed his word to get settled into your life. You'll never be at peace. You'll wrestle with yourself if no one else is around. You know somebody like that. Like, I don't think it's y'all, right? But out there, there's some other people you know. Like they're laying in bed and ain't nobody else in the house. And they're like, well, they're just going to find a way to fight themselves. You will not have light in your life. Jesus is light. You cannot have that aspect of his nature, of his character, if the word is not settled into your heart. How is it that you always seem to end up in the wrong place? Like, oh, my life is just so unlucky. I just am in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, it's because you didn't have light to lead you down the right path. You didn't let the word get settled into your life, into your heart. You don't have the character of Jesus, which is light, to lead you. Well, you know, sin just kind of seeks me out. It's just all these, these bad people. They just come around me all the time. Maybe because it's dark there. Maybe that's why. Dark people like darkness. You never can seem to make the right decisions. The wrong man just always keeps seeming to show up in my life. The wrong woman just keeps showing up in my life. I just get in these relationships and then they end over and over. Why is that? Well, it's because you don't have light. You never allowed the word to get settled into your life to the point where you said, no matter what, I can trust this word because it's true in heaven. Because it's settled and seated on the throne. And it needs to be enthroned in my life. And if it's not, well, yeah, I end up in all these bad relationships. And we, take, we try to make all these excuses for it. But the, listen, boil it down. It's simple. It's because the character of Christ is not settled in you. He is light. He is love. You know, people just keep taking advantage of me. Well, find the love of Christ. I love my dog and people are okay. A, you, know, you know those kind of people. My best friend's my dog and everyone else. Whatever, fill in a word. Uh, that's because you don't, you know, the word of God hasn't been settled in your life. If you used to love some soulless dog that we're going to put into the dirt and move on with here in a few days or a few months, more than you love the souls of people, it's because, well, the love of Christ has not been established in you. Like, love your dog. But at the end of the day, God sent us to, to seek it and save, to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. And last I checked, he's not redeeming dogs. All right. But feed your dog. Take care of your dog. Be good to your dog. Uh, you get a new job and all of a sudden you abandon every friend that you've had in your life or that new boyfriend, girlfriend shows up. And then all of a sudden, all your other friends, they can't get a hold of you and they're gone. Why is that? Because there is no true love in your life. Because if you love these people, well, nobody's going to pull you away from them. You're here for a few months and then he shows up and then you're gone for a few months. So you're here for a few months and you get a job. And you're like, well, I got to go and do that now. Why is that? Just because love isn't a reality in your life. Or maybe you're just simply afraid of real relationships. I don't let anyone close to me. I've been hurt enough. Nobody's coming in close. 
you put up a fence, you keep everyone out there. Why is that? It's because the word's not settled in your life. And when it's not, the character of Jesus Christ can't be settled in your life either. Because he is love. Sometimes love hurts. Sometimes love wrongs us. But at the end of the day, Christ is still pursuing the lost. And if we have that kind of love, we ought to be loving the people that he's put into our life, right? All right, so you want the character of Christ in your life, which means you want that word to be settled into your heart and your life as well. Write down Psalms 89, 34 through 37. You can look that up on your own. Um, I'm going to just throw this out there. Interestingly, the word settled itself appears seven times in scripture. There's an, an interesting study you can do on your own as well. Here's a counseling key for you. Um, always show people their problem in the terms and framework of God's word. And that ties right back to what we we're just saying, meaning in light of who Christ is, we want, when we talk to people about what's going on in their lives, we don't want to, you know, make it a social issue. We don't want to make it, uh, um, you know, a, a philosophical issue. We want to frame it just like Christ does. Right? So if you're going to be a good counselor, if you're actually going to be able to help your friend, your, your neighbor, uh, when they come to you because uh, something's going wrong in their life, the answer is not, well, you're a good person. You deserve better than this. That's never the answer. The answer is, let's look at God's word and see what it says about your life and your problem. And let's just frame it that way. All right? So there's just a quick counseling key. We can build on that another time. But that might help get you started. The next verse. That was verse 89, right? Yeah. Verse 90 follows up and, and says something similar. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. And so he talks about how God is faithful and the earth was, uh, won't be moved. In verse 91, they continue unto this day according to thine ordinances for all are thy servants. So he's talking about uh, heaven and earth. The word is settled in heaven, the earth itself and its faithfulness. And by the way, all of those things, all of those created things, even heaven and earth, they are the servants of the Lord. Established by his word and his Colossians chapter one tells us even held together by the very word of God. They're his servant, right? So the earth will remain like, like we said, and it will abide as long as God wills it to until he's done with it. So what does that mean? It means on one hand, it doesn't matter. Uh, how many greenhouse gases we put into the atmosphere. Like we're not, you can't, you can't destroy the earth if you wanted to. God's using the earth for his purpose. Now I prefer to look at a, like a clean ground. Like don't go throw your bottles on the ground. Like, you know, pick up after yourself. Uh, but it would be awful prideful of us to think, hey, if, you know, if we, uh, if I drive uh, 10 miles too far each day, that all of a sudden all the ice in the world's going to melt and we'll all drown. Really? God established this earth to use it for his purpose. So uh, you can trust in that, right? All right, so moving through, we'll move on past that. The earth is God's. The earth is, it, it, it's, even its position is tied to the obedience uh, uh, of the chief ruler on earth. Uh, Sam has been walking us through this in the book of Genesis, and we heard this over the last few weeks, really months. Um, but Lucifer used to be, the chief ruler on this earth, earth was positioned at the high point in creation. Lucifer rebelled. All of creation was changed. The earth itself changed positions. 
Adam is made the chief ruler of earth. Adam rebels. And because of that, the earth is cursed. The earth just keeps getting the short end of the stick. Earth itself is tied to its chief ruler. And because of that, well, you know, it got, it got moved out of its position. And now the earth too is cursed, right? Uh, but even in spite of all of that, God is using it. And it will abide as long as he wants. Now, we is, uh, live as fallen men on a cursed earth. What's the reality of who we are? Fallen men on a cursed earth. And the only hope that there is is to know Christ, right? Um, key point number, number, I don't know, I didn't number them. Key point next. If God's word is not settled in your life, then you will struggle to find purpose. Because you will look at this like a lot of people do and go, you're right. I am just this little flea in speck of dust in the scope of all the, this great universe that's out there. And in light of everything that there is. And since we just evolved and ended up here, like, why am I here? Right? You get these kind of questions. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe even as a Christian, you're like, I, you know, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. I know that Christ is my life. But what does he want me to do? Like, I just wish God would come and tell me, uh, you know, Mark, do this with your life. Right? And, and Rashad, do this with your life. And you're like, I just need some direction. I just need some purpose. Well, listen, you get that by getting established in his word, by letting his word get settled in your heart. The earth and heaven, they get their purpose because God's word is settled. He gave them their purpose. And you won't have purpose and you won't understand the purpose of your life until the word of God has become settled in your life as well. And when you boil it down, it gets to, it's really, it becomes real simple and how we might summarize it. And it becomes really detailed in the way it works out all day in your life. But your purpose is to bring glory to God. Your purpose is worship. We are just to boil it down. And like I said, that's multifaceted. That's going to play out in every single decision of your life. But you have got to let the word of God get established in your heart in order to figure that out. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should have then perished in mine affliction. Like life gets hard and it feels purposeless until we recognize that the word of God is settled in our hearts and can be our delight. I don't want to take any time really to talk about affliction because we did that the last time I was up here, but we'll just say this. We'll just tie it to purpose. Affliction is going to happen. And affliction often makes us doubt purpose and doubt Christ unless the word is settled in your life, in your heart. Then you can keep moving forward with purpose. Verse 92, moving on, next key point. We're gonna, I'm going to give you these, and then, you're gonna, then we're going to get out of here in three minutes. Tied to that idea of affliction, though, is this. Sometimes you do have to serve the Lord in pain. That's it. Why is my life different than his? Why is my life harder than hers? Why is my body different? Why didn't my body function like like his or hers? Why do I hurt? Why do I have real, real pain, real legitimate pain, hurts and needs? The short answer is sometimes we just have to serve the Lord in pain. And when the word of God is settled in our heart, in our life, then we know that he can work all things together for good to those that love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You got to know it. You got to let that word get rooted in your life. 
so that every decision every day it becomes this one thing that is driving me the only way to to survive affliction is to delight in the law of god that's it if you don't delight in the law of god affliction will overwhelm you it's the only source of hope that that is real if you do not heed god's word then you are then you are you know bound to the curse but by trusting in god's word you can be seated in heavenly places in the presence of god listen as believers you remember that that we are now seated in heavenly places I don't fully get that, but I am right now in the presence of the Lord already seated in heavenly places, which by the way, that's where the word is settled. I'm sitting there too. The reality is I know the word is settled. I just choose not to believe it sometimes. Verse 93, I will never forget thy, thy precepts for with them thou hast quickened me. The word gave us life. Oh, we'll come back to that in just a second. The word gave us life, and you can't forget the one who gave you life. If you've truly been saved, look, it's the word of God that saved you, and there's no way you, like, how do you forget your mom? Right? The word gave us life, and it, it, it continues to give us life. Verse 94, I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. Listen, the only escape is the word of God, and this is the cry. Maybe this is a cry for some of us today. I'm yours, Lord. I haven't settled your word in, in my heart, but listen, I'm yours. Uh, help me to seek your precepts. I want it to be settled in my life. Verse 95, for the wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end in all perfection, but the commandment is exceeding broad. But I've seen an end of all perfection. Listen, everything that, that looks good on this earth, there's a, what's that saying? Not all that glitters is gold, right? A lot of things that look good and look perfect. Social media world has made everything look good and look perfect. What the psalmist is declaring is that all these perfect things are going to pass. Oh, wait. Except for one, because thy commandment is exceeding broad, and its perfection will far surpass all others, and it's settled in heaven. Last thought is this, just one doctrinal point. Everything that Satan has done since his rebellion has been an attempt to unsettle God's word. Okay. Like if he could destroy the earth, that would be a big thing. Like he, he would legitimately love to see the earth destroyed because God has said that the earth will continue as long as he wants it to. Sam, Sam mentioned it. The first thing that Satan did was what? Start attacking the seed. Why? Because he wants to unsettle God's word. Because God said the seed will come and destroy you. And so this is the way that Satan works. And you can see that throughout the Bible. But this is the way that Satan works in your life, too. What areas of God's truth, what areas of God's word have you allowed Satan to come in and unsettle in your life? What areas of doubt have you allowed to creep in and say, I, I don't know, God's word's good for a lot, but you don't know about this area. This thing's really big. That's the work of Satan. That's what he wants to do. Not only, you know, universally to unsettle God's word, but individually, he wants that word to be unsettled in your life. Let's pray. I want you to think about the reality of the word of God. And if it is settled in your life. And the reality of Christ's character, if it does exist in your life. 
and the reality of purpose. Have you found that in your life? And even in affliction, can you still trust him? If not, then Satan has unsettled the word in different areas of your life. We got a few minutes before we have to get out of here. So maybe you just need to sit and pray. Maybe you need to take a minute to talk to somebody else. Maybe, you know, you need, you need Dell or you need Cheryl. You need somebody to just pray with you or to counsel with you. Take the time. We got about seven or eight minutes. I'm going to pray and I'm going to be done talking, but you deal with what you need to deal with. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is settled in heaven forever. Rising above all and being the authority that we need to have in our lives, being the one that can prod and, and, and poke and challenge us and also just softly lead us should we choose to follow. Lord, help us choose to follow and to let your word be settled in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.